Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's season two, episode fifty of Drive-by Cinema. Whoa. I'm Paul, and this is Rick, your longtime host. The podcast where we watch movies so you don't have to. You really don't have to. Nobody's forcing you. Just remember that. Okay. Yeah, it's almost like the night before Christmas, episode 50. It's almost our second anniversary, Richard. And it's today we are recording on the hottest day in history. <laughs> the country is on fire. <laughs> the country is ablaze, yeah. yeah. It's quite hot. Paul, how are you coping? Paul, a lot of people seem to be, sadly, drowning while swimming in the extraordinary heat. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that as a professional life rescuer and swimmist. An ex-competitive swimmer. Yeah, well, it's also the best swimmers that drown, isn't it? It seems that also bad swimmers drown. So. Yeah. So basically, anyone can drown. Yeah, I, I had a friend and her brother drowned in six inches of water at the seaside. Terrible. How? Fell over, hit the head. No. I don't know, actually. How are people dying while swimming? Is it because you can't get out of the... Because there's no like ladder to get out of the keys or whatever they're jumping into. Let's just review some terms here. If we're talking about the beach, then we need to think about the reach or the fetch of the waves. Yeah. Depending on three things. The strength of the wind, the direction of the wind, and the... Uh, open sea that it travels to before it hits shore. Okay, so waves are important here because waves create two things. The swash and... And the swish. The swash and the backwash. And the buckle. So that's... What about the undertow, Paul? Well, the undertow is, is results from a strong swash up the beach on a steep beach with, with, with a stronger backwash. And that's when tide is going out and you get undertow, that's when people get into difficulty. But I don't think we're talking about sea swimming for the most part. And no. I think that's partly because it's people inland, not on shore, that are suffering the highest heat. You know, people in the inner the cities. Landlubbers, yeah, sure. I mean, cities themselves make it a good two or three degrees hotter. Luckily, we don't have that much aircon. Well, not. Luckily, in this respect, we don't have that much aircon in this country. Uh, I mean, if you're in any country that does aircon, the streets are literally well. One, they're often not paved with; uh, they're often not lined with trees. Two, it's black tarmac, and three, the aircon is pumping out heat. Often, the cities are seven or eight degrees higher than the actual ambient temperature itself. You know, you're describing the urban heat island. The urban heat island. Thank you. So, how hot is it in your apartment right now, Rich? Thirty point eight degrees. Whoa, 30.8. Okay. <laughs> it's going down. down. Rich is trying to impersonate a roast potato. Now then. <laughs> uh, and what is it outside? So like 20, 23 or 24 maybe? So essentially it's a lot of retained heating in walls and floors, isn't it? Yes. Now, I've been reading whatever newspaper today that we're now looking belatedly at what the Spanish do to keep the heat out in the south of their country. Ultimately, the Spanish in the north are not that well prepared because they haven't been used to weather like this. And uh, Europe itself were affected by two changes, one in the Gulf Stream and two in something else 
a cooling wind that comes over the Atlantic as well. And they've changed quite, quite dramatically with global warming. So we're looking at extreme weather that's typically five degrees hotter than extreme weather events previous years kind of thing. So in the north of Spain, the trouble, because they kind of build their houses like we do with thick, you know, two foot two foot to deep walls and that kind of thing. Uh, but the southern Spanish, of course, use awnings, duh, and shutters, you know. And it's something we used to have on our houses anyway. But. So shutters to keep the sun out and, and awnings to, to keep, keep the sun, the sun out, off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and awnings really work because they keep the sun off the, the wall itself as well as the windows, don't they? So, so yeah, it's quite simple, really. That's all we have to do. The other reason that people seem to be dying while swimming is because of something called um, thermal shock. I thought you were going to say jaws. But go on. Cold shock. Cold water shock. Is that a thing? Or is that... Well, ah, I thought you'd ask that. And I'm glad you did. Because it doesn't seem to be that everyone agrees that it is a thing. But, you know, from how does the coroner decide it was cold water shock? Because when you drown, your heart stops anyway, doesn't it? uh, Yeah, but... People, no, I don't think it means your heart stops, but people do report that uh, under certain conditions, when they go into cold water... They realise they're drowning and they panic, yeah. But it's nothing to do with the cold water. When you panic, you start breathing and then you start breathing in water. Not just panic. They say that, you know, they can't breathe out or breathe in. They can't catch their breath and they can't coordinate themselves properly anymore because of the shock. Look... Have you never experienced really cold water before? Yeah, I've been in a plunge pool. I think everybody has, haven't I? What's a plunge pool? What is a plunge pool? Well, you go to a Turkish bath. You know, you go in the icy icy bath at the end. Okay, okay. And it's cold. Yeah, and it makes you, like, shiver and breathe in and stuff, and you can't control your breath properly. You, okay, so you're sceptical about this whole idea. I, I'm very well, sceptical. I'd, I'd like to see some citations, are. please. And I have a friend, actually a listener, um, I think Joe. she wild swims and does it in very cold water. But I, I think it's plausible. It seems to be that it doesn't always affect people mm-hmm. in the same way. and it, So it's, it's not reliable and that sometimes cold shock can really affect you. It's like the peanuts are swimming. I'm sorry, the peanuts? The peanuts. Peanut. The peanuts are oh. swimming. It's like the allergy of swimming, isn't it? <laughs> Well, except that I think if you have a peanut allergy, you should always avoid peanuts, right? Yeah, even while swimming. So, so yeah, everybody take note about that. And speaking of nuts, while the country burns, we're about to be given a new, a new <laughs> prime minister, aren't we? By the Tory party, very generous of them. Yeah, I haven't been following this. Somebody called Morden. Somebody called Truss. Uh, yeah, I was like, going to say. Sounds like they come out of may- dungeon. This may be the first and last time we ever hear the name Penny Mordant. I, I expect she won't become the Prime Minister. I expect we'll never hear from her again. Then there were sounds. Her name sounds like an item on a Victorian shopping list, I always think. It does. And also Richie Rich. So, okay. <laughs> He's bound to be the Prime Minister, surely. Yeah, I'd imagine so. There we go. <sighs> Should we get on with it, Paul? Should we listen for the music? Uh, yeah, coming? I think it's coming right about now. Because we are diligent, we do our homework, 
Ah. You're about to tell me about the director of this week's film. The director also wrote this, I noticed, on the credits. Uh, And uh, it was... Loran? Scofaria? Yeah. That name, of course... Rings no bells. Oh. That's a shame, because... I have not understood the assignment, no. No, go on. (laughs) If there was any doubt, after two years of this. You'll be amazed to learn that we've reviewed another of her films. No way. Yeah. Slap me right now. Go on, tell me more. She was responsible for Coherence. Oh, I remember that one. That was the Parallel World at a Dinner Party movie. Oh, kind of uh, indie low-budget thing. Yeah. Oh, that was... She didn't write it, though, did she? All right, Paul. So, what is the name of the movie we watched this week? (laughs) The movie we watched this week is Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. End of the World. Mm. So, it's going to be like those big budget... Uh, blowing up the world asteroid movies that we we saw, isn't it? We well, there's an asteroid coming to the Earth in 28 days, I think, to begin with. I'm not quite sure what the timeline is uh, in a short time, but we never see the asteroid at any point in the movie. Ah, and in okay. coherence, we never really see anything apart from two dining rooms, do we? So, ah, I figured it out. Why I'm confused. In coherence, she was an actress. No way. That's right. Yeah. And more recently, she's done the movie called Hustlers, about kind of, I was going to say, they're like escorts, working girls, but what they really do is they sucker people into a club and get them to spend lots of money on their credit cards. All right, so this film, what what is it called there? Well, as you said, there's an asteroid arriving pronto on the Earth's surface. But and we never see it, do we? We never, we see, never it. see it. Hide no hair of that asteroid. And there's no Earth saving here. There's never any real doubt. Well, the there movies. is. At in the start, the final mission to save mankind... Has failed. Fails. Yeah, so there's, there's never... There's a fleeting <laughs> moment where the viewer <laughs> might imagine that Earth can be saved. But pretty much, Earth is well and truly done with. Doomed. Yeah. Doomed. Doomed. Yeah. 21 days. They've got 21, 21 days, days to go. Okay. And so... Uh, our lead character, played by uh, Steve Carroll. Thank you. Yeah, Steve Carroll. Yeah, Steve Carroll. Okay, just checking. He's writing it down. My glasses right. don't work anymore. I'm too old. Uh, he <laughs> is. Well, he's just come out of a relationship. His wife has left him. No, you, well, hang on. His wife leaves him in the film. Like when was his wife? Yeah, they're driving oh. in the car. They hear on the radio that this final mission. Oh, she gets failed. out of the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. He stops the car. She jumps out of the car and runs away. Okay, so his wife's just left him. He seems to live in a very well-appointed home, uh, townhouse, somewhere in the middle of the States. Uh, maybe Washington. I'm not sure where they, where they are. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a nice apartment block, and he's, he's got a variety of neighbours who he never meets. Uh, and he lives, you know, kind of like... A life of slow middle-aged decay. He's he's called Dodge. Yeah, I wasn't sure about and that. And you say, you, you say slow middle-aged decay. How old do you think Steve Carroll is supposed to be in this? Film? Well, we later find out the fe- female protagonist, played uh, by the uh, by the Kira, well, Knightley. Kira Knightley, okay, is twenty-eight or twenty-nine, and he's talking to a 
like he has a decade on her, so we have to assume that he's about 40. But he looks a bit older than 40, I have to say. <laughs> he's got immaculately dyed hair, doesn't he? Yeah. There's a touch of a Steve Carroll trying to be like... Uh, well, I was going to get onto this, but go on, you go first. Cruise. He's trying to be a bit like Tom Cruise, isn't he? He is. But he reminded me of the guy in Free Guy. What's he called? Oh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, and also a little bit like your nemesis Adam Sandler. Okay. And a little bit of Mr. Bean thrown in there. Yes! Yeah, well noticed. Okay, so that's all kind of thrown in there. Even though they've just found out that it's 21 days before an asteroid, an extinction-level event occurs, mm-hmm. killing everybody. He still goes to work at the insurance company, <laughs> Metropolitan Consolidated. Yeah, it? I think this is mostly for the laughs that it gets, and I did chuckle. The thing is, I think the thing is, they use this joke several times, really, don't they? Yes, that life the, is carrying on in a kind of weird way. Yeah, the central question seems to be, in a way, what would you do? What would what would happen if everyone knew there was twenty one days to go? And so. Mm-hmm. In the case of Dodge, he carries on trying to do ordinary things. So, in fact, does the cleaning lady that they have in their apartment. To the extent, you know, he says, you know, carry on paying, you just don't come again. There's no point. And she's kind of... He, But whilst he's going to work, he... he and he's offered the job of CFO, by the way. That's right, yeah, because obviously the CFO has better things to do with his time. I thought that was quite a funny scene, but go on. There's a touch of the office about that scene, isn't it? Yeah. Because Steve Carroll, famous for famous taking the, office, the role yeah. in the office. American office. And, yeah. y- you know, the, yeah, there is that scene, as you say, where HR are <laughs> reaching out to the staff who are still turning up, trying to find them, to, trying to get them to fill the roles that have now been vacated by the C-level people who are no longer coming into work. Were there any other chuckle moments for you? There were the occasional chuckle. I can't. They were. I, I did laugh. I laugh out loud, but I can't remember quite what they were. There were some funny moments. We do sometimes talk about the mood of films, don't we? Yes. And I wasn't really sure whether this was supposed to be a romantic comedy or a wry examination of, you know, the end of the world. Or I mean, I suppose in one sense, it's definitely a romantic comedy, right? That's what it's trying to be. But it's not yeah. your ordinary romantic comedy. It's not, you know. Man tries to woo a girl for a dare. I would say it's just comedy. Just comedy. It's, it's comedy with humor. romance, which is different. It's unusually black humour for an American film. I, there's several things I want to say about that eventually, but I would say the romance isn't really romance because there's no real heartbreak there, is there? It's all ups and no downs. So, Oh, I see. Nothing's really you, ever... There's no tension that needs to be resolved in terms of the romance. They, they get together eventually and they... They stay together, yeah. You need a bit of grit in your eyes to do, Paul. Yeah. Bit, so. yeah. Sorry, so tone generally, yeah. I mean, the point is the world is ending and it's a comedy That's pretty film. pretty bleak. Yeah. Uh, quite similar to uh, Idiocracy, I thought, the tone. It, well, at no point does anybody actually... There are no serious moments where, you know, people are facing the fact that they're all... Everybody's going to be obliterated, you know. We, we, join, them, we join them at the point where everybody's accepted that fate, I think. And somehow that just makes the writing of it easier. But Well, you say that, but the, the second time he goes to work, a, a body lands on his car, presumably just jumped from a, <laughs> from a building, doesn't it? It lands on his bonnet, smashes his windscreen. That's pretty dark, isn't it? Someone's just committed suicide, facing their extinction. 
Oh, I'll tell you what the chuckle moments were. Later on, we meet Kira Knightley's boyfriend, who <laughs> who isn't too happy because he wrongly assumes that uh, she's getting together with Steve Carroll's character. Yeah. Uh, and there's a funny moment where he uses her as a body shield while they're being chased by rioters. And I found that quite funny too. Well, he goes to see his friend Warren, doesn't he? Who's drinking and smoking expensive cigars. And his, he and his wife, Warren and his wife, are making the most of their last 14 days by throwing parties and stuff. And so, uh, Warren's wife tries to set Dodge up with a friend of hers, this woman. Who's frankly who, a nine and he's a six. <laughs> you thought that that woman they set him up with. Well, they say so themselves, don't they? Okay. Oh, that was the okay. chuckle moment. Like, Warren says, hey, how about two cooks in the kitchen kind of thing? Which I've never heard before. I thought it was quite fun. <laughs> she also arrives to this party wearing, like, a tiara and lots of very expensive fancy clothes. In his mind, says, he was, she was definitely a nine. Yeah. She but says, the- I'm wearing all the stuff I never wore. <laughs> so, so a constant thing that's played out is a sense of abandon. Yeah. Okay, people are letting loose and doing things they wouldn't normally do. Later on in the movie, we meet uh, the star of Silicon Valley, who plays... I was going to say, your favourite, TJ Miller. TJ Miller, what, sadly. What you hold the torch for? Sadly no more. Rest in peace, his reputation. Uh, uh, but he's he's a waiter at Frenzies. Uh, Friends is who I can't say that with it's, my it's basically like TGI Fridays. It's TGI Fridays, but much, much, much older establishment. Yeah, uh, and uh, that I thought that weird moment in that restaurant was really well done. There's just a sense of how warped everything's become, but how it's carrying on in its warped way. Warren's wife at some point tries to kiss Dodge. I think he's hiding in the bathroom, sitting in the bath. That's right. Yeah, and he says, "But you're Warrens," and she's like, "Well, nobody's anybody's anymore." This was after someone had brought heroin to the party. So you can see how it, how it was going down there. I have to say, these laughs came thick and fast at the beginning, but they were kind of they kind of became thin on the ground towards the end, didn't they? Absolutely, it becomes a lot more melancholy and uh, romantic and sad towards the end. Anyway, he gets out of there. He doesn't want to sleep with Warren's wife, even though it is the end of the world. He goes back, and I think he finds back at his place. He finds Kira Knightley crying at the window. I think he'd seen her storming out of the flat below. Where he She's lives. actually on his fire escape, I think. On his fire escape, yeah, yeah. yeah. And apparently, the reason she's crying is she's missed the plane to get home. She's English. Mm-hmm. She was trying to fly home. We all know about flight disruption these days, don't we? To see her parents one last time. And, and rail disruption. Because of the heat, Paul, all the train lines have been... Train journeys have been cancelled today. Hey. Because... Rails, those metal rails expand in the heat. And it makes them buckle. We've got issues of working gauge here, haven't we, and low gauge? Did you know that? Did you know the rails expanded? Well, that's why when they meet, they kind of meet sort of a long, sharp, and pencil tip each, don't they? So they can slide against You'd each other. You'd think so, but it doesn't work, does it? Apparently, not on the, if, on the... not Yeah, not if your tolerance is on for 42 degrees, yeah. On the East Coast mainland, you know, but between Scotland and London, the the central point is now arching 700 feet high. <laughs> <laughs> Trains can't handle Only the put one join in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll snap back. We don't need to worry about it. So he discusses the problem that Penny, as is her name, 
And she, she, he mites her in and she says, I won't steal anything if you don't rape me. It fits. I mean, she can, she can say the line she says. I mean, the way she plays it, the character, it just, the lines really fit, fit her. She does it well. Her acting in this is great. Can I admit? She says, and she explains this in some detail. It becomes an important plot point later on. She says she has hypersomnia and that she would sleep through, you know, the oh, apocalypse yeah. kind of thing. I miss that. Because she's a stoner and she needs dope to wake up and to go to sleep. She does say that, yeah. yeah. And so she sleeps late. Dodge tries to wake her up with weed and then a mouth organ. Or is it harmonica? It starts playing. Oh, yeah, you're right. What's the difference between a mouth organ and a harmonica, Paul? Mouth organ, you can only play one note at once. Right. I'm making that up. Awaiting angry (laughs) listeners. Uh, So she's got an expensive record collection that she doesn't want to let go of. We're just breezing past my question, are we? That's it. Yeah. Uh, And uh, a riot (laughs) appears pretty soon, doesn't it? Uh, you're right no, she goes to her place doesn't she to get oh. her record collection then a riot appears he's got to go downstairs have, never having met her before no, uh, and the important thing here is oh yeah, that letters. she hands over three years of misposted mail for Dodge that she's been keeping in her apartment because <laughs> she's never met him <laughs> and he finds amongst this an important email from an old flame of his not email Olivia what's the yeah. Olivia, yeah. Uh, not an email, a snail mail, that's what I mean. Um, on a red envelope, uh, where she explains that she, you know, he was always the one. Hard copy, hard copy of mail. <laughs> so, as a consequence of this news, and the fact that his wife has left him, and the fact that Penny reveals to him, accidentally, she doesn't realise, that she thought... Yes! She thought that... Linda was her his roommate. And not his wife. Because she saw him leaving and going around with some other guy who she thought was Linda's boyfriend. And she says she looked very happy with him. And so it suddenly hits Dodge that his wife was cheating on him all this time. And he goes away. soul-destroying. He but goes we don't see that soul-destruction, do we? Well, we do. He goes to drown his sorrows and he buys some blue window cleaner don't know why he's alright. Yes, drinks it in the park. He tries to drink it, yeah. When he wakes up in the morning, he has a stray dog that's been abandoned because it's the end of the world uh, with a note saying sorry on it. So So he calls the dog sorry for the rest of the... That's a good choice. Then the right happens, Richard. It's not a good joke, though, is it? It's not a good joke. This is, by the way, minus 12 days to Armageddon. Oh, and then the riot happens, yeah? Well, after he takes the dog home and feeds it a pie, which I didn't know was something you could do. Apparently you can. You can feed the vegetables. They don't like it though, do they? Their stomachs are quite evolved, don't worry. And they're not, they're omnivores. They're, they're, con, they're, they're highly carnivorous omnivores. So they can. What would a dog do if you gave it a vegetable? Would it be happy? Have you not seen dogs eat mangoes? They love them. <laughs> Why would I see a dog eat a mango? <laughs> oh, you don't do TikTok, do you? <laughs> Richard refuses to do TikTok because he thinks it's not for people of our age. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> it's Well, no, I mean, the Chinese company really doesn't care who watches it. It's not being designed for young people. They just, I mean, in it's China, they just designed, uh, you know, uh, they just designed 
a uh, an app that you could watch short videos on. But Paul, there was it's designed there was no market with... research done whatsoever. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's designed for people with very very short attention spans, even shorter than mine, and mine is already short. It just never stops. There's no. It doesn't pause for breath. TikTok does it? No, it, it's crack. Yeah. Okay. It's dog eating mango after dog eating mango. Yeah, figuratively speaking, obviously, and other other. But when they eat the mangoes, they just love it so much. They lick and chomp and dribble, and oh, they love mangoes. <laughs> watermelon. I think I've seen dogs eat watermelon. There you go. You should give them frozen fruit, shouldn't you? In this weather. Probably. Well, there's doggy ice now, isn't there? What's doggy ice? Made from pea protein. Yeah. Pea protein. Yeah, they really don't like milk. Okay. So. Okay. So you shouldn't give them actual ice cream. That's the thing. No, doggy, doggy ice. Yeah, it's, it's pea protein ice pea cream. Protein, yeah, sure. <laughs> Sounds lovely. So, Japanese ice cream actually often has red beans in it as well. So that's weird. Similar, I guess, to doggy ice. Does that mean it's packed with fiber and should be part of a well-balanced diet? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. it's not bad actually once you get used to it. Like it's a touch savoury, but you know it's it's they're sweet red beans. They're, they're fairly sweet. So. Hmm. Richard's grimacing. Go on, Richard. You were going to say? Uh, it's one of many, many foods that I'm not used to. That's all it is, isn't it? I'm just not, not used to these things. I kind of draw on it. Pig brain. I had it several times, Oof. and I've never enjoyed it. You will get some kind of brain disease from that. That's what I said to the people feeding me. I said that's full of heavy metals. They say, no, it's not. Well, they, they think it's healthy, presumably. They said, scratching the head like the Mad Hatter. <laughs> <laughs> Where is pig brain commonly eaten? China. Pig brain is eaten often in uh, Sichuanese hot pot, which I'm, I'm trying, avowedly. To get me to go to. I'm not to going to go to. going to give me to pig brain. No, I doubt they'll serve pig brain in the UK. Okay, that's fine. He's in his apartment anyway. He's looking through these letters again. Uh, one of them, and this is another joke, one of them was for jury duty. I didn't miss this he, one. He missed out on. But at this point, a brick comes through the window. The riot, yes. The riot starts. It's on the television as well. There's constant news <laughs> broadcast. He takes the dog downstairs to Penny's apartment. That's when he meets a boyfriend and he thinks that they're having an affair. He tells them to get out and she collects her treasured vinyl collection which includes Scott Walker amongst them, and they run for the car. Now, Kira's like the millennial, millennial it's okay to like. Like, she's millennial, but she doesn't stew in her own emotions. Like, she says it, and she's emotional. But then she just, like, moves on with witticisms, you see. So I thought she was... this. She could have been the blueprint for millennials that never happened. But here underlines the, the fundamental impracticality of vinyl records, Paul. If you're escaping from an apocalypse, you don't want to have to carry around the a dozen treasured vinyl, including items, Jake John Cale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not a practical way because you're gonna, as she explains, you know, it's much easier to damage a vinyl record. You have to treat them with care. You can't run through a riot with them and expect them to play appropriately. And where is she going to find a decent turntable? In fact, it's a big. It's a big issue. She refers to them having a good turntable, I think, in a parent's house. But eventually he finds like one of those crappy portable ones that have become vogue these days. 
you know, with a lid that opens and a little crappy built-in speaker. And when they play the music, it's not very good, is it? It's just very obscure. So, well, yeah. it was Scott Walker, wasn't it? I think. Oh, was it was Scott Walker. Sorry, Scott Walker. Famous for having one of the shortest hit singles of all time. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we get the escape scene, which is pretty much the only action we get in the movie. And it's played for laughs, you know. The boyfriend She drives is... away from the boyfriend. Yeah. But again, there's laughs here. Like, she has to get out of a tight parking space. And instead of crashing into the cars, <laughs> you know, she's doing her... her 25 point turn or whatever so and of course he uses her as a human shield before that so she leaves him on the pavement uh and he just joins in with a riot to survive so yeah there's lots of giggles there and uh, the tone has been pretty light-hearted all the way through hasn't it now dodge says that he knows a guy with a plane who could get her to england but the next scene is they've run out of gas and because she wasn't aware that a prius needs to be filled with petrol as well as charged with electricity so it presumably made the six or seven miles that it can on Lecky. now he's obviously a bit angry with her that she had kept this letter from her old flame for so long and she feels guilty about it so she kind of undertakes at this point that she's definitely going to help him find his old flame so she hitches a ride with this truck driver yeah and then we get the classic prepper doomsday prepper in a truck should you get in with them or not decision of a end of the world movie but they get in the truck driver is a touch weird isn't he yeah he's not weird like uh the guy we saw in the serial killer film um you know the guy who picks up jack built yeah uma thurman he's not that kind of weird but he certainly gives off this vibe doesn't he that's as you say you might think twice about Eventually, he has to stop for a piss, and he goes over to a tree. Um, and then, when he eventually gets back in, I think she's popped out to do something to take the dog for a piss. He turns to Dodge and he says that he thought he was going to shoot him, and he thought he was yeah. going to do it by the tree, but he didn't. And while Dodge is processing the weirdness of, <laughs> of that, he bursts out laughing. And I thought he's telling us a joke, but he's laughing because he realizes that Dodge isn't going to kill him. And then suddenly, he gets assassinated. <laughs> the truck driver gets assassinated from across the way by a guy in a black limo. Apparently, this truck driver had hired a hitman for himself because he'd spoken already on the trip about how suicide was no way into heaven. So clearly, again, you know, Paul, people dealing with the reality of the end of the world, they are, they are you know... Seeing themselves off in various different ways. Very sensitively portrayed, yeah. So then we get a bit of a road trip kind of vibe. Oh, hang on. You're missing one of the other jokes here. They bury the truck driver. And they're patting the earth down. And then they go, where the keys? Where the car keys, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There were lots of jokes, actually. There were a lot of jokes like that. I do remember them all now. Uh, And then we get the, the kind of road trip vibe. And they manage to stop off at some impromptu beach party that the children of abandonment are having. Like no, the, on the, the beach. They go to Frenzies next. TGI Fridays. Oh, oh is that the order? Sorry. But TGA Miller is the waiter. And he's clearly extremely happy to see them. And, <laughs> of course, he was in Cloverfield as well as Silicon Valley. Which we also reviewed. Please go back and listen if you didn't. Uh, and the waitress that accompanies him 
is Gillian Jacobs of Community oh. fame. Anyway, there's plenty of alcohol and drugs at the party, and at some stage it turns into an orgy where Gillian kisses both of both Dodge and Penny. And Penny and Dodge decide that it's a bit weird, and they have to leave. But then, as soon as they get in the truck, they actually they fuck. Do it like dingoes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and probably not no dingoes watch the, the male will actually face backwards when he's doing so probably not exactly like dingoes, <laughs> is that is that right because yeah. they're well, kind of dogs aren't they yeah they get hung up don't they well the day after that has all happened they're slightly embarrassed I think about having done that but they resolve not to speak of it again but then as they're driving along they get pulled over by an overzealous policeman when was the beach party then was this after all this what beach party they stop off for a beach party. Do they? Yeah. With who? It was before. It was it, it was before Friends's, I think. No, it's later, I think. Is it later? Sorry. I think it is later. Oh, yeah. so it's later into the road trip vibe. Okay. So we're on road trip vibe, and another thing that happens in all road trip movies is you get pulled over by the cops. So they get pulled over now, by the cops. Penny and Dodge kind of think that no copper is interested in, you know... <laughs> In fulfilling their quota during this period of pre uh, Armageddon, but despite Penny explaining in great detail exactly why they were on the road and what they were doing in a brilliant uh, monologue, yes, nonetheless he throws them in jail uh, alongside a guy with the ended hair <laughs> on a sandwich board who they got arrested why... for disturbing the peace. <laughs> that was a good gag. <laughs> So we're still um, very much in gag territory even now, aren't we? We are. Now, they open up to one another while they're in the cells, and Dodge once again pulls out his harmonica. It's his thing in this movie, isn't it? The cops change shift, and a different cop arrives, and he's like, oh, God, what has he done now? And he's clearly <laughs> pissed off that his buddy has put them all in jail. So he lets them out, and he offers to give them a lift. To Camden. And that's where Penny had once dated a guy. She saw... Saw it on the road, I think. She pointed to the sign and said. Turns out to be a set of survivalist soldiers, ex-soldiers, veterans. They built titanium underground bunker. Six feet thick titanium. Although when they tap it, it does seem to ring hollow. So, Oh. Yeah, he's an old mouth, isn't he, really, that guy? Yeah. But they are quite organised. They've got a satellite phone, so, so she can call her folks. And he's also got a fleet of three smart cars, which weren't the cars I was expecting them to have, but he lends them one. So it was 2012, can... though. They must have been in vogue. Ah. So they can continue their journey. And uh, they drive off, passing a yard sale. This is, Again, it's the same joke. Like, people... It's the same joke, isn't it? People doing the same normal stuff. Yeah. A man mowing a lawn. Suburbia type kind of stuff, isn't it? Right, so we arrive in, we arrive out of Candom, we leave Candom. And we and arrive at his ex's place. That's right, well, which it, is his hometown. It was where he last knew his ex when they were school kids, so he doesn't know that they necessarily she necessarily still lives there. But they well, Penny breaks in, doesn't she? She breaks the window and they go in. And he looks through and he finds that her old like school girl bedroom is still there. Wow. And Penny looks around while she's kind of reminiscing in the bedroom, and she finds a letter that D- 
this woman must have sent to her parents. So it's got a return address on. So they know where to go now, and they're following the chain, as it were. Now, when do we go and visit his dad? That's after. Oh. They spend the night here, don't they? I think she explains that her and her brothers used to break in to people's houses, eat the ice creams and watch cable. <laughs> Which is strange, because if she grew up in the UK... We don't have cable. We do, but you wouldn't break in anywhere to watch, the t- watch it, would you? No. And cable is very rare. But why is cable rare in the UK? That's a really good question. I mean, there was some cable in the late 80s, early 90s, wasn't there? But it never took off. Oh, yes, there was. In fact, it still exists, I'm sure. Because Ofcom decided to deregulate the TV channels at the same time over the air, didn't they? So, and, uh, and because cable hadn't happened, we had satellite broadcasting instead, didn't we? Cable wasn't allowed for a long time, and so we, we developed sets. Yeah, I suppose prior to the deregulation of TV broadcasting, yeah, neither satellite nor cable was allowed. Mm. The point that they deregulated, it turned out that now satellite technology was good enough and set-up boxes were cheap enough that Sky TV could uncut any cable offering because the cable companies would have to dig up the road. Hell of an expensive, yeah. yeah. For hundreds and hundreds of miles. Here's the second problem. The cable operators made a crucial error, and it was this, right? So they are now in a market competition area where there's cheap satellite going out, but you've got to put a satellite dish on your property. And that's quite unsightly. Yeah. But what the cable operators did was they just got the maps out, and they looked at all the highest density area populations. Uh, they laid the cables to those high density areas. But that, of course, was all the less privileged areas. And those people were never going to pay more for cable than satellite. Yeah. Even if it did mean that they didn't have to have a satellite dish on their council property or cheap property. The people who would definitely have paid extra for cable are all the middle class areas in the leafy suburbs and the outlying rural areas, if they'd laid cable there, they would have cleaned up. Because all of those, like, residence associations and stuff would just said, oh, we don't, we don't want those satellite dishes all over the village. Precisely. It would have been local ordinances or bylaws, as we call them in this country, to stop satellite happening. But they all wanted Sky Sports, right? Because you want to watch mm-hmm. the golf at the weekend. So it was essential they had the TV channels, but the cable companies fucked up. There you go. And Richard, so- an expert on lane pipe. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you have done that to me. Okay. Right. So Dodge finds a vinyl record player. Penny plays some of her I didn't like cards. this scene. She makes a fabulous looking meal, although I think it was hot dogs, uh, while he sleeps. And then they have a romantic meal, drinking wine, listening to music, and eating her food. But it's all analogue music rather than digital. You know, very disappointing. Where are you, Paul, on the whole analogue versus digital debate? Digital. Well said. Say no more. But why yes, are people so keen on analogue? Oh. Well, if you listen to the owners of very high-end London nightclubs, <laughs> they tell us that the ear can, you know, its sensitivity to to... To tonality is like to the millionth of a second, which I, I really don't believe. 
I mean, it is true in terms of the sound. If if sounds were pixels, the pixelation of the ear is higher than the pixelation of the eye. If that makes sense, it is true. You know, we discern sounds really, really well. But I, I find it hard to believe that uh, that the ear can decompose digital sounds into the ones and zeros. I, I, I don't believe it can. Here's a misconception about digital sound. We know that if we were to try and... And, and it's also one of our classic describing a visual thing in words. But we, you know that when... Um, Here comes a Venn diagram. When, when sound is digitised, if you imagine a waveform, you slice it up into little bar charts and it takes a sample at each of those slices... Yep. And that's your digital signal, and it records all those numbers. A misconception, I think, people have is that when it plays through your speaker, it's playing little blips, beep, 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 you know, with the bar chart height. But that's not how an analog... It's a, a mechanical digi- system. It moves between those well, with acceleration or with velocity. It's not how a digital-to-analog converter works. Oh. Well, how, it, how a digital-to-analog converter works is it, it, it curve fits, right? So yeah. it takes all of those peaks and it finds the curve that goes through those. And then transmits that electrical signal. But even if it didn't do that, the, the speaker can't the speaker move couldn't do it. Yeah, physically, exactly. you know, point to point like, like a saw wave can, I think. It just can't do it. Like, like a square wave, it can't do that. So you don't get any squareness to the... Yeah, you, it, the speaker itself will mechanically smooth out any, any square, square signals. So that's why I'm digital, you know. It doesn't make sense to say... Well, I don't think it makes sense to say that, you know, analogue is better. I mean, I get that there is that experience when you put a stylus down on a yeah. piece of vinyl and you hear the noise. The grumble of the needle, the, yeah. The yeah. Grum- exactly, and the, the click and the high yeah. high hiss as well. That's very evocative, especially... It is very you, sentimental, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you learn to appreciate music by doing that all the time. But then so so, you know, so is the... So is the eight-bit music Street Fighter these days? Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just and memories. The blue light on your CD player. Yeah, it's all memories. You know. I mean. So here's the thing. Obviously, we know there's a lot more noise and crosstalk and all of that on a piece of vinyl, and bits of dust and everything will degrade the quality. But if you had a perfect kind of piece of vinyl and you put it on a decent turntable, it's equivalent to roughly speaking a twelve-bit system. That's the right. signal-to-noise ratio you can get from a piece of vinyl. Because, you know, there's a limit to how big a signal it can record, and there's a limit to how sensitive the stylus is. So it gives you about 12 bits of discrimination. And, of course, the CD player is 16 bits. Mm-hmm. So th- there's, that's why you get a better signal. That's not the only reason. <laughs> you you then have a noise floor as well, which you don't have in digital. But it's Go one figure, of the why a digital signal is... It's got a better, um, you know, what's, what do they call it? Dynamic range, a better dynamic range, yeah. The quiet's are quieter, and the louds are louder. It is true, though, I think, that because of many of the limitations of the analog era, that mixing music, m- mixing sounds, the, the art was probably at a higher degree of, yeah, you know, artisanship at the time. And... We've gone through a period where I think there's a lot of lazy mixing going on in music. And also a lot of mixing that... There was a kind of loudness war 
where everyone tried to make the tracks louder and louder, which compresses your dynamic range so that it sounds good on the radio and all that stuff, which is very compressed anyway, especially digital radio. So um, it may be that the mixes were better on some of the analog recordings, but with a decent digital recording, especially out of CD, especially since radio is no longer the... Uh, what's the word? It doesn't, it doesn't occupy the, the central place it once did, does it? Discovery no. music. Good. Well, that's settled then. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not looking to start a fight. I agree, you know, digital all the way, without a doubt. So, back to this tiresome movie. No, this wonderful movie. Right, okay. So Penny, so, she's found this letter that they can follow back to where this old flame was. But you can, you can right. see that she's kind of torn. Maybe she's fallen in love with Dodge. Yeah, there was one particular scene where she's she's so, showing real sort of, uh, not duplicity, but she's in two minds about whether to, to help him find this person. Again, you know, Kira Knightley's performance in this film is absolutely amazingly good, I think. And it perhaps is a bit unfortunate next to Steve Carroll, who is a perfectly fine actor, right? And he's a good comic actor, we know that. But I don't think he carries this movie properly. No, no, you're right. I, I thought he was—he looked weak in this film. But the next day, they drive to this other location. But when they get there, he gets out and he tells Penny to wait in the car. And he goes to the door, and then he comes back immediately, gets back in the car. And he, he explains to her that he's just dropped a letter off there. That's right, yeah. So he's obviously thinking twice about pursuing Olivia further. Now, it's at this point that they nearly run over a line of people going down to the beach. <laughs> That's right, thank you. Apparently to be baptised. Oh, it was a baptism. I okay. think that's what was happening. They were all going down to the beach. They were either it wasn't the choir person. then. Or, you know, who knows? Children of Men. Uh, another movie we have watched and reviewed. And they sit on the beach and they hold hands and they kiss, don't they? And they're, they're kind of falling in love, aren't they, at this point? Yeah. It's not How do we end up at his dad's house? Oh, because he's got the plane That's to fly right. over to England or to the airport. I'm not sure where. So Dodge is taking her to a person he knows with the plane. It turns out to be Dodge's father. It turns out to be Martin Sheen, Paul. He's a strange father, Martin Sheen, yeah. <laughs> That's right. He hasn't seen his father for 25 years or something. Since he left his poor ma. Obviously, there's a kind of reproachment. Is that the word? A reconciliation? Something. Yes. It's quite sensitively done, I thought. Turns out that Martin Sheen has got a Cessna 152. (laughs) We know it's a 152 because there's only two seats in it, not four seats. And I think the range of a 152 is, I mean, it can't be more than about 600. Maybe 800, I think, if it's like a particular... With tailwind, yeah. yeah. Not going to get them to the UK, is it? Not even Iceland. You're going to have to stop a lot of places. Ah, uh, they could do Canada, Canada, Canada. Canada, Iceland. Newfoundland, Iceland. Iceland, swim. Yeah, you, you, there's a big bit to go over. How far is, is it to Iceland? From some parts of Canada, not that far. I don't parts think. of Ireland, though. Um, Ireland uh, to Iceland. You could do... You could do Greenland, Iceland. You could do... America, Canada, oh, Greenland, Canada, Greenland, yeah. Greenland, Iceland. 
But we're assuming here that there would be places to refuel a plane all along the way. I don't think that's a particularly safe assumption. Uh, Yeah, it's 880 miles from Ireland to Iceland. Although maybe you might be able to do it to Scotland. You might be able to do it. You could just do it. I think you could. It'd be a hell of a journey, though. I'm not. Where is Somerset? Where is Somerset? Don't forget, she's already spoken to her parents on the satellite phone her ex flame gate gave it gave it gave it use of. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, and we've seen a wavering in her commitment to getting back. Um, we know that she's keen on him, so inevitably, we can kind of guess that they put her in the plane asleep, don't they? That's right. This is where the hypersomnia comes in. Mm. So she falls asleep, and Dodge carries her carefully into the passenger seat. And her dad, he waves them off and her dad flies them away without waking her up. So she doesn't get the chance to say no. And he drives home. And there's a, um, a note on his door from from that woman in the party. <laughs> Saying, hey, you weren't in. See you in the next life kind of thing. And his cleaner is in his place. <laughs> Still doing the, the weekly clean. And he tells her to fuck off. In a nice way. He puts Penny's Scott Walker album on the turntable. And as he's listening to that. Uh, Who walks in? She comes in. This is it. Yeah. She says she woke up on the plane. She got his dad to fly him straight back. And so, the final moments of the film. Interesting. Interesting how it had to be Hollywood in the end. Because it wasn't... It didn't... I mean, Hollywood it, was it, it wasn't a happy ending. They spend no. their last moments in bed, and, and we never says, see the end of the world, do we? We don't even see that all we hit. All that happens is we hear some distant explosions whilst they're lying in bed, and he's telling her that he's madly in love with her. No, it's kind of Hollywood in the sense that they've resolved their happiness. You see, although see. it's a sad moment, they've resolved their happiness, and it's like. It's come full circle kind of thing. And that's the first thing I want to say about this movie as a whole. Can we just get back to tone? It's now the third movie when I've been reading reviews and they said, oh, we didn't like the haphazard tone of this music, uh, this movie. The first was The Trip we saw a few weeks ago. The other one was... Tusk. Tusk? Tusk. Oh, and Dave made Dave a maze. Made a maze. Yeah. yeah. So three of them in the reviews mentioned tone. And this... This movie, in its reviews, said uh, we didn't like the haphazard tone to this one. So the fourth one. Uh, Richard, you first kind of mentioned this a couple of years ago when we were watching Sex Education, the Netflix series, and you were saying, is genre dead? Uh-huh. Uh, and maybe these movies, because I think most of them came before Sex Education, are kind of like a precursor of that, in the sense that, I mean, it's not, it is a little bit genre hopping, this one, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. And I don't think it's a bad thing, necessarily. Except that if you were hoping for sci-fi Armageddon stuff, you were going to be, be disappointed. disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so also, I'm, I'm, kind of... I'm not entirely persuaded that the depiction of the world... That I, I'm not sure I buy it totally, right? No. But then it is goofball comedy, you know. There is that aspect of it where... Idiocracy style, uh, yeah. Idiocracy. It, it's, I, I got real reminiscences. Uh, sorry, reminiscences of idiocracy here. Again, it's a Hollywood thing, isn't it? I mean, it's a serious subject. It, 
there kind of needs to be moments of, I feel, not talking about tone, just in terms of emotional needs. There needs to be a moment of gravitas in this movie. We never really get it. Again, Hollywood afraid to step out of its self-defining boundaries. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, Kieran Knightley was superb. I thought it was really well written and funny, but somehow it just left a feeling that it was afraid to go places it needed to go. That was my only concern with the movie. There were moments where I wondered what Kira Knightley was doing in this film. She seemed wrong yeah. in the film. But equally, there were moments where I wondered what Steve Carroll was doing in the film. He seemed wrong in other parts of the film. Can we just say how good Kira Knightley was in this movie? She was superb, wasn't she? I was reading um, in the trivia bit of IMDb, I think it was probably where I usually read these things. Uh, there's a scene, the scene where she's on the satellite phone to her parents and she's weeping yeah. as she's speaking. Apparently yes. all of the crew were in tears. They're shattered by that moment. But in general, yeah, Kira Knight's acting is absolutely astoundingly good. I mean, she always really? is, but, you know, she carried a lot of the emotional gravitas of this film because Steve Carroll's character is, I think, written as quite emotionally dead. Yes. Right up until the end where, you know, it's clear that he does have feelings for her. Generally speaking, he's kind of numb, isn't he? He's numb by the fact that his wife has left him, by the fact that the world is ending, I suppose everybody is. But he, he responds in a very flat fashion, very flat affect, doesn't he, to a lot of this stuff. So he's, he's not really given very much to work with. Uh, so, you know, it's two very contrasting performances. Not, not a bad thing, though. As you say, I enjoyed watching this film. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um... Which seems to be a score time. Unless you want to discuss with me, Paul, what would well, I was going to ask you one thing. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So the other thing is, you know, again, traditional Hollywood Hollywood technique, uh, you know, the, the plot axis here of, you know, having a female, believe female, be the saviour, if you like, an answer to prayers, and resolving his stale his stale attitude to life. Okay. What I wanted to talk about was, you know, if you could guess what the more neurodivergent forums on Reddit were to theorise about this movie in terms of allegory or an, or that kind of thing, what would they say about it, Richard? I don't know. See, what I saw here was, <laughs> I, I thought that the destination they were going to, she was essentially trying to rejoin her parents in death, yeah? And he was trying to rejoin the death of his, his failed relationships, yeah. So it, over that hill into death kind of thing. So it's about facing death, isn't it? So the whole thing is about facing death and the whole world's dying at the same time. So I thought there were parallelisms there. And Olivia might represent life and the fact that as we're dying, you know, we might yearn to stay alive, obviously. But in I the was end... Harking you know, back to the past, yeah. Harking back to the past. But in the end, you know, when life is about to end, you know, when you come to the end of your days, all you can do is have pointless parties. You know, <laughs> I, I think. So I think maybe, in a subtle way, it might or might not have been trying to address that in an allegorical sense. Life is a but, pointless party. What else can it be? Yeah. In the grand well, scheme we, of we, we, the point is, we convince ourselves that it's not until the curtain is drawn and we see it for what it is. Until we're a brown speck on an asteroid. Yeah. So maybe it was more contemplative than I'm giving it credit for. Just maybe. So it is scores time, Richard. You're absolutely right. All right. All right. 
Well, it, we got to start with acting. It's easy, this one, isn't it? Or yeah. Is it? Or is it? I'm going to go straight in there, jump in and say eight. I mean, Kiera's a nine, and Steve yes. Carroll isn't. I'm not sure he is, what he is. He's a 6.5. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give it an eight, though, because Kiera's yeah. worth seeing in this. No, she, she's absolutely amazing. I was kind of gobsmacked by how good she was. Now where the hell do we go? Because there's no action. Plot. Uh-uh. It held my attention. It kind of didn't go to enough places I wanted it to go to. I was yeah. expecting something with a little more action in. Uh, and, uh, I mean, really what happens is they take a long time getting together and they finally get together, you know. Uh, and I guess it's held together by the fact that there's a lot of emotional worth around their decisions. So I'm going to give it a six for plot. Does the age difference of the protagonists make this a bit icky? Could this film be made now, even? I don't know. Is there a broad consensus that age differences in and of themselves are a bad thing? It feels like these days it's more... Oh, definitely. But has the public opinion swung, swung, has its odometer swung to the idea that the fact that people are very differently aged makes the relationship a bad thing? Has it got that far? I mean, does she save him or does he save her? I don't know. I mean, obviously neither of them save one. (laughs) They both die at the end. (laughs) (laughs) No, you raise a good point. I, I think you're right. It wouldn't. I think, yeah, eyebrows will be raised these days about it. The other thing about the plot is, as I'm trying to allude to here, I'm not entirely certain things would go down the way they seem to go down. I mean, surely it it would be complete chaos and bedlam the day it was announced. <laughs> Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm just remembering one of the other gags, which was, you know, over to, you know, Casey with the traffic report. Oh, it's a fucking shit show. We're fucked. We're fucked. (laughs) There are some really good comic moments in this in this movie. I will give it a seven. Whoa! How about comedy? Did it make you chuckle? It did make me chuckle. It did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There were some funny bits. You know, it was goofball and made no apologies for it, and I liked it for that. I'll give it a seven. I'm going to give it eight for comedy. It did actually make me laugh quite loud. And so, do we give it a mood score? What does that even yeah, mean? Yeah, I think we do end of world. You know, did they, did they, did this different take on an end of world movie was it worthwhile? Did it make you think? And this, did you hit the right? Like, I mean, this was a pleasant watch, and you know, it would yeah. be nice to watch this with a loved one, wouldn't it? It's a kind of, it's a romantic, it is a romantic film. So, I think it works. I'm going to score it as six. That's harsher than I was expecting. I'll go seven though. Okay, and my overall is going to be. A seven. Yeah, a seven is a fair score, in my opinion. You usually, Paul, give the box office figures and the, and the, the budget of films. It got 4.5 out of 5 with Amazon. Uh-huh. It got yeah. 55, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, dear. So, And it wasn't big at the box office. It only made back its production costs. Exactly, yeah. Just like a million more, maybe. Just a- yeah. So, yeah, a, a watch, a good watch to recommend on a long summer's evening, I think. Boy, are we having those. So, Richard, it behoves or behooves me to talk about what we're going to watch next week. I've got two for you to pick from. I don't know how excited you'll be about these two. Lay them on me. 
Okay. I think we talked about this one last week or the week before. Oh. Escape from the Field, which has been billed as the worst film made ever. <laughs> uh, against that, we've got Interstellar, and I'm not entirely sure what that is, but we did promise to watch it sometime eons ago, and we haven't got around to it. Well, Interstellar is a Nolan film, of course. Of course, yes. Sorry. It's the oh, starring Tom Cruise. No. Starring... Oh. Starring Matt Damon. Matt Damon, yes. Well, he's... But also, perhaps... But not making potatoes in a spaceship. Well, no, he's in a very similar role, actually. He's stuck on a Oh, he's making peppers. Growing peppers. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also starring a guy's name I can't remember. Okay, so those are your choices. Escape from the field, something new, something unknown, or Interstellar, Nolan Fodder with some big names in it. I am keen on re-seeing Interstellar, but Ooh. given your description of the worst film ever, I really want to <laughs> dip my toe in the water of Escape the Field. Is that the final decision of the Luxembourg jury? Yes, it is. Whoa! Yes, it is. I didn't think you were going to go for that. Okay. I kind of dangled Interstellar as chicken and Escape from the Field as watermelon. And Richard, the Labrador, gobbled up the watermelon. Drive-by cinema, reviewing the movies that nobody wants to see. <laughs> nobody will the, see, presumably. This the movies one. about town planning that nobody nobody yeah. asks to watch. I apologise wholeheartedly. Don't worry. Very, very few of our listeners ex- expose themselves to that episode. <laughs> to that burden, yeah. <laughs> to that horror. Well done. It shows we've got such intelligent listeners, doesn't it? It does, yes. Right. Okay. So until the next time, when we'll be reviewing... Escape from the Field. Escape the field. Thank you, Paul. And let's go and lie down in a cool, dark place. (laughs) And not fall asleep until four o'clock in the morning. Okay. (laughs) Until the next time. Bye. See you on the next one. Ciao for now. Thank you.